Welcome, my dear DI champions, to a new episode of the We Include podcast, where we introduce the newest diversity and inclusion solutions in the market and talk to founders who, like me, think that businesses for good are good business. I am your host, Juan de Kescu, and I am taking you to Berlin, Germany. Wonder.io is a startup creating cutting-edge virtual reality products for personal development. We learn more and more how this technology is so powerful, which is why it is so interesting to see a company setting off and using it not for entertainment, like most, but for providing DEI interventions. They are running operations since 2019 with VR experiences already successfully deployed in over 30 companies from six different countries and just recently raised half a million from angel investors. We are talking with the CEO on this episode, Mihai Streza, and I am delighted to share this conversation with you, where we learn more about the impact and potential of Wonder.io. So grab your headphones and let's dive in. Hey, Mihai, welcome to the We Include podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm very happy to have uh, yet another Romanian. I think you're the third. <laughs> uh, it is not on purpose. Um, Mihai lives in Berlin. I've discovered them through some search or some other. Uh, we had Keen here on this podcast doing some very interesting things with VR and DEI. We're going to go into the same realm and I'm very, very excited to learn more from, uh, from you, Mihai, about this. Sure. Looking forward to it. We usually start with trying to understand a little bit. Why did you start it? That's, uh, that's the question right so we only have half an hour <laughs> but i'll try to to make it relatively quick but the question is big because while we speak about diversity and inclusion today um that's a part of what we do so why i started this company is since exactly 20 years now i've been busy with personal development and leadership development i did a lot of work on developmental psychology a lot of ken wilber's theory Spiral dynamics, uh, Don Beck, so the work around developmental, uh, developmental psychology models. And in a nutshell, they all have a model about how our consciousness can evolve, right? It can go through different stages. It doesn't have to, but it can. And they all look at the data and they found out that you need about 10% of a certain population to move to the next level of consciousness mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in order to facilitate the transformation in, in the whole population. Mm. And if you take, I'm going to go straight to the big picture, if you take the world as a population, and let's say we're 8 billion, eight billion people for the sake of argument, then we would need a shift in the consciousness of about 800 million people in order to have a transformational shift in the consciousness of the planet. Mm -hmm. And then the question comes immediately, how do you... How do you trigger, how do you facilitate a mm -hmm. shift like that? And there are practices that have been studied that yeah. give very strong impulses that facilitate these jumps in consciousness, but <laughs> they're not very scalable and they're not very yeah. practicable. So <laughs> the, the best and, and widest studied one is near-death experiences. Okay, we don't want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> so near-death experiences seem to have a consistent and very strong correlation with um, jumps in developmental um, uh -huh. stages of consciousness. Again, can you put 800 million people through <laughs> the near-death experience? Will they do it? Probably not. So I, I wouldn't do it myself, and I'm very interested in these topics. It's just too risky, right? And then you have other practices, different types of transcendental meditation. There you have, again, can you ignite interest in 800 million people 
to stare at the wall for the next 30 years, hoping mm-hmm. that their consciousness will evolve. Mm-hmm. Again, probably not. And then you go through other different uh, types of experience that are studied. And my conclusion was in 2018, I spent a whole year on this topic. My conclusion was that in order to have a shot at this, you need technology. Yeah. You need to do it via technology. And what better technology than virtual reality to have an experiential learning that can trigger behavioral change. Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's the big story. I think we need a transformation in consciousness in order to solve all these big topics, climate change and so on. Yeah. We go straight to the topics, uh, but nobody's asking what kind of people do we need to be mm-hmm. in order to have a chance at solving these topics with a better outcome. And we need to go back to this work on ourselves and we need tools that can be scaled globally to work on ourselves. And we're building these tools. How did you fall into this bracket? Let's do behavioral change through technology and we're going to focus on whatever you're focusing, right? Because I guess there are a couple of lists and we'll we'll go into that too. But ultimately, I, I want us to understand what does Wonder propose to those who want to tap into it? Um, the team I put together for Wonder is a new team, is a brand mm-hmm. new team. I put it okay. together in 2019. Why I went to that is that, as I said, I've been busy with, through my mentor, um, Dr. Bozasan, I've been busy since 2003 with personal development. And when you start asking the questions like children do, why do you do this? And then people mm-hmm. say something, like, yeah, but why and why and why? And you ask a few times this why, then you come to the core of the things. And the the core of the things is, if you work at the root, like the Buddhists say, the core of the things is we need to, our, our strive is to better ourselves mm-hmm. as human beings. And from that, many beautiful things will come. And I went, I went to the root. I'm, I'm not interested in uh, building another platform that sells shoes or um, Mm -hmm. putting out another electric car. I also had my path and I did build electric vehicles in 2006. It was my Mm -hmm. first company that I started in, um, in Berlin and did other different things. But after a while you start to ask yourself, or I started to ask myself, what are the real topics, Mm -hmm. you know, apart from trying to sell to each other products that we don't need. Sure. Um, but ultimately it is still a business, a business that needs to sell something. Uh, yes. <laughs> what are we buying when we're buying Wonder? Leadership development. So this is this was exactly the bridge that, um, that we looked at because um, this was 2018 when I started working on this. And I am a very business-minded person. I work in strategy consulting for a long time. This is the third company that I'm founding. And uh, the question was immediately... <laughs> who is going to buy this? And in 2018, if you put together virtual reality and overlap it with consciousness development, you probably have five individual clients <laughs> globally. So the interesting realization was for me that the personal development topics that we are after and the leadership development topics, most of them, they're exactly the same topics. They get branded in different ways. And they get a new name every couple of years in leadership development, but they're the same topics. So, and it's about 10 to 12 topics altogether. So if you go, this was the bridge that that we built. We said, okay, let us focus on leadership development because this is where we can deliver a lot of value in short time. 
And large companies especially, they understand the need for leadership development. They use leadership development. We don't have to convince anybody that they have to work on their leaders. And we just, if we bring a better method, scalable, technology-driven, then it's easy to get adoption. And this is happening. Basically, what I see with your business, because I've been following for the past couple of months since since I discovered, and um, I, I think there is an appetite in terms of the way we learn uh, leadership principles or with the way we learn change management, but also what we learn about it. Um, And this is where my conversation with founders of businesses for good in the DEI space really shifts somehow everything that is happening in the leadership culture, let's say, so building, because there's one, and maybe a new generation of leaders, a more diverse generation of leaders, differently educated, also coming from a wider variety of backgrounds when it comes to, let's say, more classical corporate businesses. Um, and there is a demand from the employees, from the workforce groups around creating transparency, creating somehow a body that is enabled to have its voice heard. And I think what I've seen a little bit in your proposal um, is teaching leaders how to actually create that ecosystem of transparency and empowerment. I'm curious, what are your observations on the impact um, on the people or the organizations that you worked with so far? What are some like key things that people come to you right after the training, right after the experience with Wonder? That, that's huge. And we have a lot of quotes. We have over 50 case studies now because we try to capture the um, the work that we do mm-hmm. and also in case studies. And mainly the... I think the, the main takeaway for everybody who goes through that, what they give us as feedback, is that it's the first time that they feel how it is in somebody else's shoes. You know, we have the expression, uh, walking a mile in somebody else's shoes and all that. We try to, to get to that. Like leadership development always has these elements of perspective seeking and perspective taking, where people are trying to explain to you on a whiteboard Mm -hmm. that there are other perspectives than your own and you should be able you first of all you should acknowledge that yes (laughs) and then you should actively go and search for for those perspectives and try to take them it's very very hard because it's a cognitive exercise right so somebody is kind of like somebody's trying to explain praying to you if you Mm -hmm. don't experience it it's kind of yeah you get it but it stays at that And this is the feedback that we get consistently. So in a lot of these um, diversity, equity, and inclusion trainings that we do, a lot of them are around unconscious bias. And it's um, a lot of it works through embodiment. So you put a a VR headset on. This is also something that um, a lot of people um, mix up. So they hear us talking about training in virtual reality. Mm -hmm. And they think we mean we do trainings on Zoom. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Right. So we have, I actually have a, a monthly roundtable with senior leaders where I explain the technology and the use cases and all that. And now for the last couple of months, this is what I start with. I mm-hmm. say what it, what it's not. What is not. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it's, very just, important. it's not a training on Zoom. It's not e-learning. Um, it's not a cardboard, Google cardboard. That already goes in the direction, but a Google cardboard is a piece of cardboard where you put your phone in and you watch a video. That's not virtual reality. Um, And we build these worlds. These are computer-generated worlds. You put a headset on, it's something like a big pair of headphones, and it covers your eyes, and then you see a different world. 
And in that world, you can also see yourself. But you can be somebody else because it's a magical world. And when you get embodied, there are mechanisms that help your brain identify and accept that virtual body as your own. And if you run those mechanisms, then you navigate through different situations that are in this world. You go to meetings if you're in an office or you're at home and you deal with your family, you deal with strangers as another person, as a person of a different gender than yours, a different skin color, a different age, a person maybe with physical disabilities and so on. And the experience of how that feels is so strong. This, this visceral experience is what we always get as feedback. People come and say, oh, now I understand. Well, that's a good thing. I, I've seen in the past maybe year, year and a half, a very weird reaction in the market around like DEI training fatigue, um, yes. a, a backlash on the effect, effectiveness of DEI trainings. What's your take on this? Because somehow you are in the field, but you are building a, a very, uh, bringing a very unique solution. So somehow I don't necessarily place your solution in the same bucket, but in the same, it's the same principle, right? Like yes. what do we do around unbiased trainings and things like that? What is your take on it? Because you, you can see it from, I think, multiple perspectives. I'm very curious. You know, you're absolutely right. When you talk about uh, DEI training fatigue, I think you're hundred percent right. This is what we see everywhere. Basically what, what happened is, so first of all, I think that happens with any kind of training. If it's not engaging and you keep repeating it, participants will not like it <laughs> and they will actually start disliking you mm -hmm. as your employer or as the yeah. training provider if you make them go to trainings which are not engaging. Mm -hmm. So that's a, that's a general problem of uh, participants' engagement. The other thing is that I see, and people don't like talking about this, but this, the, the diversity topic has become so big and so prevalent that a lot of people especially people who get forced to go through trainings, um, they have an adverse reaction. So they say, I do not want to go to another diversity training again, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. where a nice white lady comes and explains to me on a whiteboard that it's not good to hate foreigners, right? I get <laughs> it. And, and they're right. They get it on a cognitive level. What's yeah. missing to those trainings? Because there's, I'm all up for any diversity interventions, but there are a lot of studies out there and meta-studies, there's a great one from Yale University mm -hmm. that looks at the variety of diversity interventions out there, mm -hmm. and they try to quantify the effects. And the effects, they have them, it's even written in the summary, the effects are pretty much summed up as on a good day, if you're lucky, with the best interventions out there, you might get awareness. And yeah. awareness is a cognitive process, you know, that's the mm -hmm. problem. People get out of the training and say, I get it, it's a yeah. problem but they do not change their behavior. I mean, I think we will continue to see this, um, but there is a, a need for maturity in the ecosystem. And I think Wonder can be, bring that. And I'm, I'm very yes. happy to, to highlight this initiative. I think it's one, unique, and two, extremely needed. Um, if you're looking at your um, addressing market, are you working mainly Germany, Europe, you're going global? What, where's the appetite? That's a very good question and a very interesting observation towards what happens. So we're based in Germany, we're, we're in Berlin. I've lived in Germany for 23 years now. So this is where I went to university. I graduated. I had, uh, you know, my first job and my second job and so on. 
I have a very good network in the large companies in Germany. And by virtue of that, I thought this is where our main customers will be. Mm-hmm. And uh, then reality came in <laughs> and our main customers are in Scandinavia, Switzerland and Benelux. Germany is a very particular market and it's very, like, everybody knows this, it's very risk adverse. German companies are not the pioneers. They might have been technological pioneers a hundred years ago and yeah. they got this image from back then and it still uh, bears that power of innovation and so on. But actually German companies are very risk adverse and these are the conversations we have mainly with the large German companies. If it's when you can show us that it's proven and that everybody's using it successfully, then we'll consider using it as well. <laughs> okay, so they're not in the early adopters anymore for a not, while, not and, or part. the creators. <laughs> no, but what is? I think I've I've witnessed somehow an interesting shift in the maybe just the second half of the year where a lot of Scandinavian companies um, start dominating a little bit the talent space, the HR space. Um, of yeah. course, we know or we, we, we've witnessed or we've seen some very interesting proofs uh, of concept of like inclusive uh, societies, although Scandinavian countries have their own particular challenges moving oh, forward. Yes. Um, but at least they recognize the need to tap into expertise and yes. incorporate that, right? Yes. Not just like dabble with whatever we have internally and hope it works. Yes. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what you see as well. But I, it, it's interesting because and now I'm in the south of Europe. I, I live in Barcelona. And um, even here, I can, I can see a lot of influence when it comes to who is proposing what and what type of conversations are we having. Um, and when it comes to events or forums of, of uh, sponsoring this type of initiatives, it's it's very much coming from there and a bit UK, of course, in US. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are looking at what's next for Wonder, I'm very. If you can share, of course. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, but I think uh, I think myself. I'm I'm very uh, keen to understand what's what's next and what's cooking uh, under the headset. <laughs> uh, absolutely. So. What's next is growth. This mm-hmm. is what, what we've been focused on since the beginning of, uh, of this year. So we have now the famous product market fit. We have clients who are using our products. Um, they buy them, they pay money for them. That's something that, <laughs> that I say in the last uh, six to 12 months is something that I've been saying when I talk to investors and they come with the you know, the standard questions that they read somewhere. So what's your competitive advantage? And I yeah. said, well, we have three of them. The first one is we have products, right? Mm-hmm. So if you go to a lot of companies that say they do training in virtual reality, they actually, they don't have a product. Um, the second competitive advantage is that our products work. Mm-hmm. Because if you go to more of those companies that offer VR trainings, you might get to download something and it doesn't work. The software yeah. doesn't work. And the third competitive advantage is that our clients actually buy our products for money. Mm -hmm. So we don't work in a freemium model or, Mm -hmm. you know, we don't go around doing demos for free and say they're clients. Um, We actually have clients who who buy the products. So the next challenge is growth. How can we... How can we scale this globally and bring these trainings literally all over the world in all the big companies? How can the ecosystem help you with that? Is there like a call to action that we can make here in terms of like, one, go check Wonder, but or also are you going to be at some 
events or creating uh, ways of people to discover you? Yeah, absolutely. From the ecosystem, my expectation would be that they use the product. We we actually have um, an investor, a very interesting investor. They call they're called Alligator. It's a um, small venture capital firm here in Berlin. They're focused on HR tech, uh-huh. and they also create a community of the companies they've invested in. Mm-hmm. And this is what I brought to that community as well. I think that in an ecosystem like that, everybody should be using each other's products because this is how the ecosystem helps each other. And this is something that's missing a lot. And I think this is a very interesting call out because ultimately when it comes to DEI, um, the topics are s- so many. The moments that matter in the workforce life cycles, um, they are not to be changed by one provider or one solution. Um, And somehow, whenever I work with anybody, I'm like, you have a heat map of things that work and things that don't work. No one solution provider will solve all of this. So by knowing of each other and knowing this complementarity, I think we could all benefit. One, the products maybe will become better and more sustainable and more accessible. But two, clients would actually buy stuff or acquire things in bundle, right? Because they have a bundle of issues. Yes. (laughs) Let's consider a bundle of solutions. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, super interesting. Actually, I I did uh, witness this with this podcast, some two founders that kind of found about their respective businesses through the podcast, they Mm -hmm. started a collaboration because they're like, hey, we actually have some stuff that we could fix together. And I think it's it's very interesting that you've observed this. Where is the reluctance coming from? Is just competitivity or just unawareness? I don't know. Uh, I I really don't know. You know, I don't know what's in people's heads. The, the <laughs> what, what I yeah, see. Lo- of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> what I see a lot is that, especially founders, tend to be um, they're obsessed with their own thing, which is normal. I yeah. I am with my thing as well. Yeah. Um. But but out of that comes kind of a, a weird kind of competitive feeling. Like they're not really the more mature ones are, but especially mm-hmm. the ones who are first time founders or so on, they they don't get the value of helping each other. Like I need to solve my own stuff. It's it's kind of a developmental psychology actually speaks to these stages. It's the stages that we go through as a person as well. Until you have solved your own issues, financial stability, a purpose in life, uh, a social network and so on, until you've solved those for yourself, it is pretty difficult to Looking to try and help others. <laughs> true, true, true. Uh, I recognize that fully. Uh, I started on my entrepreneurial journey recently and uh, I have a coach I'm working with and I don't know if it's oh, great. This star assignment I have or something, but I was like, you need to ask for help. I'm like, I know, <laughs> but it's hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it's, uh, it's absolutely <laughs> important. And the, the thing is the more, like if you ask for help in places that a lot of people are afraid of, like p- people in very high positions or, you know, people who seem inaccessible, you're very much likely to get help because those people, many times they have this maturity and they're like, yeah, sure, I'll help you. That is so true. <laughs> um, how about your entrepreneurial journey? You've had a couple of businesses you launched. So you are, let's say, um, experienced. You are. You went through the, <laughs> through the ring a few yes. times. Um, what is still hard for you or surprisingly underestimating <laughs> when you're <laughs> when you're starting your 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 founder journey um because i feel there's always a bit of a 
oh, I definitely can do this. And then you actually need to do it. And like, I actually don't like doing it or it's super hard. So I'm curious what <laughs> yeah. behind the uh, <laughs> area of blindness. Yeah. It's uh, it's self-reflection, uh, introspection, this entrepreneurial journey, I think. I think people issues are very hard. It's very, very mm-hmm. hard to get. I mean, it's saying it's very hard to get a good um, founding team together is such an underestimation. It's, it's so mm-hmm. unbelievably hard. Um, and I think the very experienced investors, they get that when... If Mm -hmm. you are an entrepreneur and you cannot hear investors anymore saying, oh, it's all about the team and you think it's a cliche, Mm -hmm. it is a cliche, but at the same time, it is so true. Like if you find somebody who managed to put together a a solid founders team, that is incredibly rare. And after that, it doesn't get easier because after that you need to grow the team and you need to add more people and they need to have the right cultural fit. And if you don't pay attention to that, this is another um, thing. A lot of people don't even know what that is. Yeah. And they're like, we're, we're going to hire people and they're going to work for us. And this, is, <laughs> this is not how it works because people are not machines. Um, so yeah, that I, that I think is very difficult. And uh, yeah, that's, I think that's the, that's the most difficult thing. And sales is not, is not easy yeah. But sales is, I mean, yeah, no, we're talking in general. So yeah, sales, sales is very, very difficult and people underestimate that totally. They're like, <laughs> oh, I'm going to build this great product and everybody will buy it. Like, no, that's not how it works. You can build the greatest product. Nobody will buy it. <laughs> you have to do sales. I was watching a series recent. I don't know what I was watching, but they were like, there are two types of people in this world, the creators and the sellers. Right. <laughs> That's it. Like, I yeah. don't, there's no more important than one than yeah. the other. Although they kind of, you know, don't. Is don't it from startup? I don't know. Just recently, I don't remember. I don't know, but yeah. there's something. Yeah. yeah, I think startup, for example. By the way, that's that's a great show to watch. It's called mm-hmm. Startup, and I think it's on uh, Amazon Prime. I don't know. I'll definitely um, check it out. Because it shows these archetypes yeah. of. Um, of founders and also it shows them from the beginning when they don't even know that they're that until mm. 10 15 years later when they're fully in their role of their and like fulfilling their their archetypal role it's it's really really interesting to watch especially if you're in this space and if or if you're a founder or interested in founding everybody take notes um <laughs> to uh conclude uh why did you call it wonder <laughs> this is uh this is really that type of technology that's close to magic, mm. virtual reality. So for mm-hmm. for everybody who didn't try it out, is you put this little thing on your head that covers your eyes and you enter a different world. Yeah, and that can be a computer generated world that you can you can barely tell the difference between that world and reality. So that is for me. And when I looked at the progress in 2018, when I started this. I had seen virtual reality. I'm a computer science graduate, so I had seen it 20 years ago in university. When I saw where it got in 2018, I was so amazed. And this is this is a miracle. This is about wonders and you know flying carpets. You put this uh, headset on, and it's like getting on a flying carpet, and you fly within a millisecond to a completely different world. 
Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, Mihai. It was a pleasure having you here. I hope we will touch base again, maybe in a year's time, and we'll learn more and more sure. about how Wonder grew. Um, I wish you the best in your in your in your quest. Thank you, Anna. Thank you so much for staying with us for the entire episode. You are the best. If you enjoyed this conversation, subscribe to the We Include podcast on Spotify or the podcast provider of your choice. And don't forget to share in your networks. It's highly appreciated. You can find me on LinkedIn for suggestions of initiatives and topics you'd like to see covered in future episodes. They are coming out weekly. Till next time, take care.